this was the only person she's like drinking a bottle of Jack Daniels from the bottle. And all this she's kind got of stuff. like all the crazy aunt hallmarks where yeah. she's got like crazy hat and frizzy hair right. and like shapeless, shapeless dresses. Our producer's like pointing to herself. Like, you, <laughs> you want to be crazy? No, aunt? Derry. No. Hello. I'm already crazy. No. aunt. like, what am I wearing today? Like I've got she's this wearing, I wish you guys could see this shirt. It's, it's like super hot Poe Dameron shirt where he's like shirtless and like staring with like a smoldering. hunting hat today. You guys, yeah, my brother actually called me for my birthday the other day and was like hey like congratulations i was like what he's like you're now crazy at like officially that's so funny hit that level horror movie survival guide is a weekly podcast where two unlikely gore hounds delve into our horror movie notebook from college in which we meticulously kept track of every film we watched in the horror movie section of our local video store in our quest to learn how to survive and to ensure we end up as As the the final final girl. girl Join Julia and Marion as we revisit the classic and obscure horror VHS we viewed and logged in our notebook, breaking each movie down one by one, geeking out over all the ghastly minutiae, and ultimately illuminating the path to survival. Ready? Yeah, let's do it. Hi, everyone. Hello. Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide. Uh, we are the first podcast from Indie Popcorn. We are recording at the Circus. I'm Marion. I'm Julia. This is episode 35. In which we will be discussing uh, 1982's Creep Show. Yeah. <laughs> the name of this episode is Call Me Billy. Everyone does. That'll make sense in a little bit. It will. And uh, the tagline for this film is the most fun you'll ever have being scared. Hmm. The most fun? There was some fun. There was some fun to be had. The most fun, the, it's pushing it. Yeah. Pushing the most, it. <laughs> but, you know, no, go big I don't want I don't want to speak ill of, of Creepshow because I really like Creepshow. Um, I love that it was just Stephen King and George Romero being buddies and being like, let's yeah. do a movie together. And they're like, okay. Because this is uh, Stephen King's first screenplay. Is that right? Yes. I think. Okay. Um, see, I'm afraid to say that because I, I don't really? I don't have that specific. I'm sorry. I thought I read I'm that that was bad true. as a Stephen King fan. Yeah. I thought I read that that was true. But yeah, I feel like that this is sort of the beginning of these uh, anthology films that we're going to be discussing, uh, which is fairly common in sort of horror movie world and is a really interesting way to sort of tell horror movie stories um, where instead of having one that takes up 90 minutes or two hours, you have these stories that are like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And so you're supposed to kind of pack in right. your scares and thrills and whatever. More and then, bang for your buck. Exactly. And then if you're not into it, it doesn't matter because it's going to be over in 10 minutes anyway. Yeah, it's cool. It's like then uh, the 1980s was a there's a big rush of, of anthology horror. And yeah. we thought, let's let's break apart this little mini genre, uh-huh. or genre, sub-genre, if you will. Yeah. Um, so the next four episodes, we're going to be doing uh, anthology horror. So mm-hmm. Creepshow's the first one. Um, as everyone knows, I'm a I'm a big Stephen King fan. So getting five Stephen King horror stories mm-hmm. in one movie is pretty much the best thing ever. And also, you get some Stephen King acting. We do. That totally happens. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to talk about that. Um, we also get Stephen King's son, who is the little boy in the wraparound story. Yes. Yeah, so that's the other kind of the format of these uh, movies. You know, they have sort of these three, four, five stories, but there's kind of a wraparound that is sort of the that has the prologue, the epilogue, and it bridges all the stories together. So it's like cast your, it's a sort of it's like kind of princess bride. Like this is how, this is how these stories begin. Um, and in this case, it's Stephen King's son mm-hmm. um, having his creep show magazine being taken away from him by his dad, who's Tom Atkins, mm-hmm. right? Uh, who is the worst. He and, is the worst. Uh, worst dad ever. And he slaps his kid yep. for uh, reading creep Across show. the face. Yeah. Yeah. And says, um, uh, that's why, that's why God made fathers, babe. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Get me a beer. Like, but it's okay because because uh, then Joe uh, King slash Hill uh, says, "I hope you rot in hell." So 
Yeah. Wow. And then also there's that sort of strange thing that this, uh, you know, the creep show very much takes its roots from comic books yes. and sort of the way the story, the stories are done. And you know this because when the dad goes downstairs to have his beer, the kid's upstairs, you know, wishing ill of his father. And he looks out the window and sees the creeper um, kind of floating skeleton mm -hmm. kind of creature. And it becomes a cartoon. It's the best. Yeah. And then the cartoon kind of, you know, flies away to see the creep show magazine in the trash can flip. The wind knocks over a few pages and the frame of what you see as the first sort of, comic book frame is the opening becomes real life yes. in this movie and gets us into it. And this kind of recurs repeatedly where sort of as the stories wind down, they sort of freeze frame it. It becomes, it's sort of shot in this very comic book kind of bright colors kind of way. And the frames become comic book frames and people become cartoons. And that's how you kind of know you're going in and out of these stories. I love it. It's really fun. And yeah. I know that both Stephen King and George Romero were big fans of the, like the 1950s, 1960s, horror comic <clears throat> thing, which I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't, I've never been into, but mm -hmm. I think it translates onto film really well. It's, yeah. it's a really fun uh, framing device and you have like page turn wipes and yeah. you have like frames and you have these mm -hmm. crazy backgrounds and I think it's, it's a fun, it's a fun way to do it. It is fun. And it's also, it just does, it always reminds you that it's like you, the movie is a comic book. Yeah. Like it's like you are watching a comic book. And then they released a comic book that was the movie. So like... Oh, it's really? Those care. It's those actors like drawn into a comic book. That so you would can, be so cool. Yeah, you can buy. They just re-released it. You can buy the Creepshow comic book. Oh wow, that's like a different kind of immortality. That's very cool. I know, really neat. I like that. Um, and these films also you generally have a link throughout the, all the stories. Mm -hmm. So the the link in this uh, film is an ashtray. Oh, okay. So the ashtray that they talk about in the first story, it's a big, like, heavy marble ashtray uh -huh. you see somewhere in each of the films. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. I I, I feel like cause sometimes it's an object and other times it's like a theme or it's a, a person. Yes, exactly. Okay. Got it. So our first story is called Father's Day mm -hmm. um, in which uh, Ed Harris, uh, looking very... What would you say, Julia? How does it Harris looking in this movie? <laughs> kind of cowboy. -y. Very cowboy. -y. Yeah. He's got like a big belt buckle and yes, a plaid shirt. Plaid shirt. Um, he uh, is having a dinner with his in-laws, uh, who are very wealthy people, and they tell him the story of uh, their crazy aunt Bedelia, who murdered her father for killing her lover. Um, and she comes back every Father's Day, and this particular Sunday dinner happens to fall on Father's Day, and so crazy aunt Bedelia is going to come back. Um, to the scene of the crime. To the scene of the crime and, and kind of meet them all. And Ed Harris has never met her and doesn't seem to really know the deal. But the, uh, the incredibly wealthy family is not speaking very well of her. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's one of those things where like it's it's sort of the 80s cliche wealthy white people who are just like the worst. And, and so I, bored. They're yes. like in that very Brett Easton Ellis. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm attractive and rich and I'm so bored. I know. Privilege is incredibly boring. Um, <laughs> and, um, and Ed Harris, I think, is me meant to be like our everyman yeah. kind of guy. So... Um, so, you know, crazy Aunt Bedelia comes and, and she uh, walks over to her, parks the car and walks over to her father's grave and has that crazy monologue where she sort of talks about what her father took away from her. And this was the only person she's like drinking a bottle of Jack Daniels from the bottle. All and she's got stuff. like all the crazy Aunt Hallmarks where yeah. she's got like crazy hat and frizzy hair right. and like shapeless, shapeless dresses. Our producer's like pointing to herself. Like, you, <laughs> you want to be crazy? No, Terry. No. Hello. I'm already crazy. No. Aunt. Like, what am I wearing today? Like, I've got she's this. Wearing 
I wish you guys could see this shirt. It's, it's like super hot Poe Dameron shirt where he's like shirtless and like staring. With like a smoldering. hunting hat today, you guys. Yeah, my brother actually called me for my birthday the other day and was oh. like, hey, like, congratulations. I was like, what? He's like, you're now crazy at like officially. Like, so funny. Hit that level. Because like he knows. So well, we, you, you would feel you would feel Ampedelia's pain. Yeah, I'm with her. <laughs> I'm uh, right there. Uh, and apparently she uh, improvised that monologue. Oh, is that true? Yeah. I could totally see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, because she really goes to town for it. Because, like, that is the part. Yeah. It's the flashback of the murder, then that part. Because then, out of nowhere... Well, um, she, 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 she pours some whiskey out on the grave. What? It, magical whiskey? Like, I don't Apparently understand. Apparently, it's magical whiskey. Oh, because. okay. So, fun fact, kids. If you get real drunk off Jack Daniels and uh, go and, like, monologue in front of someone's grave, <laughs> gravestone and then pour whiskey on it, they can come to life. Because in this movie, her dad emerges... All fleshy, maggoty, maggoty, disgusting. It's Tom, it's Tom Savini. I know. He's gonna I go know. Is like for oh. sure. Um, but I remember watching this movie and I was like, oh, monologue, monologue. My whoa, guy out of grave. And so the dad comes out of uh, the grave. And um, before she had killed him, he had been. It was his birthday, and she was. Dem- or no, sorry, because it was Father's Day, he was demanding cake. He was wow. like, I it's, want my cake. I, I want, want my, cake, my cake, you dirty bitch. Yeah. That's how far he goes. That's how much he wants his cake. Yeah. Have you ever wanted cake so bad you would call someone a dirty bitch for I'm it? Not really, I'm not really a cake person. Okay. So um, definitely mean, not. I understand the anxiousness when someone's like, you have a birthday, the cake's like, getting lit in the kitchen, you want it to come out. Sure. But yeah, he's like banging his cane on the on the chair. I want my cake. Just like, you know, and then the flashback is just like more and more yeah. and more. And she's squeezing frosting onto the cake into yeah. this big glob, which I don't really understand. Yeah, I think uh, she's supposed to be really upset. She's upset. Yeah, leading to murder. They, yeah, they they allude that she's maybe not had maybe not all there since her lover got killed. Yeah, so no fair play. Um, so uh, so her father's corpse springs out of the grave, screaming that he wants. So cake. She, she had hit him over the head uh, with with this ashtray we right. mentioned in the flashback, mm-hmm. and so he emerges to be like cake, 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 and uh, takes her out, and then. And then it cuts back to the house because everyone's like wondering where they saw her park the car. Where's the epidelia? And this is Julia's excited already. So there's this scene, which means it's a total whatever scene, but we really love it because it's Ed Harris and his wife dancing, disco dancing, disco dancing, and like kids, you have not lived until you have seen like cowboy Ed Harris really going for it in the disco dancing like he's doing he all the boogieing down weird white guy moves like he's just like see this. I'm oh, sorry. like i don't even know why this it's has no it's, am- this it's amazing and, and then they cut they cut back later and like she's still disco dancing yeah like she's so by herself yeah, yeah by herself she's uh-huh. like i just got to do it i'm yeah. waiting and i'm what no. I do to pass the time, I disco dance. It's fantastic. So then he, so disco dancing aside, um, very made me very happy. Um, he goes out to see where Amphidelia is gone. Can I can I just mention there's a, there's sure. a, a line in this. Uh, my favorite quote from this movie okay. is uh, her the the bored older brother Richard. Uh-huh. Um, so they go they go into uh, a, a room that's dark, mm-hmm. which is you know in every horror movie you go into a room that's dark and no one ever comments on it, and right. he just says, "Oh, are we conserving energy?" Yeah, and I'm just glad that someone like brought it up. Yeah, that you like notice the fact that all the lights have been turned out in this room. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's very funny. So yes, Ed Harris goes out, goes outside to look, uh, to for, look for Ampedelia. Um, sort of sees the empty grave, accidentally trips and falls into it, and then when he does, <clears throat> it's a very sort of strange. I'm not quite sure what's going on here. He he falls face up, and sort of the the headstone, sort of like this monument kind of obelisk thing. Um, when he nice, falls, nice face, use of the word obelisk. obelisk. Um, when he falls face down, his head is towards it. So he falls face down and goes, oh, whew, you know, geez, that was crazy. And the obelisk moves, like slides slightly over to him. And he kind of freezes, like, what is that? What's going on? And then the body of Ampedelia kind of rolls over on him. And he's like, yeah, that's really bad. 
And then the obelisk slides some more and he doesn't move. He just stares at it, kind of frightened. And then it slides more and more and more. And then it just swooshes him in the face. And I don't understand why okay. like, he didn't get up and move. He I'm didn't get up and move because uh, the, the, the father yeah. uh, is standing there. So he's so freaked out. Like he's like, like there's nowhere to go. He looks up and he sees the it's zombie. Like dead Bedelia to my right, dead dad to my... It's questionable. Okay. The, the fact that... So, like, basically, they have the father... I, I took it as he was kind of, like, force-pulling the obelisk off of it With onto the power him. of his mind? Yes, Got exactly. It. Just have him push it. Why can't he just push it? Because then maybe it would be really silly for Ed Harris to not get up. It's pretty silly for him not to get up. I, well, it's, it, it's just perplexing because... It's Tom Savini. Mm-hmm. Have him do like a head squish. Have him do whatever. Yeah. Like he can do that. Like yeah. why throw away this death I when don't know. you could make it so much fun? Yeah, I don't know. It, it was a little confusing. Um, confusing. But so, but so endeth the dancing days of Ed Harris. Um, oh, so but yeah. his wife's going to dance on. Oh yeah, so she dances on. So we go back to the house, and then um, the Ampedilia's sister, who had originally told the story, she goes off into the kitchen to be like, "Where is everybody? What's going on?" And she finds the cook dead, and then she runs into her zombie dad, and you know screams, and then only the two kids are left. And so they go into the kitchen, notice that the lights are out, um, and then sort of the ending of this piece is seeing their aunt's head on a plate with frosting and candles, I think, on top of her mm-hmm. head. And he's like, I want my cake. I want my cake. And then they cut to, like, reaction. He says, I got my cake. Oh, I got my cake. I'm sorry. I got my cake. Um, and then it cuts to reaction shots of the two kids. And that's when the sort of that comic book thing comes back, where, like, the way that they're lit is, like, very pink, and the background's very blue, and and they sort of turn into these comic book frames, and that story kind of ends, and it becomes a cartoon again. It's so neat. Yeah. Uh, it's it's It's... I like it. Yeah, no, I, I, I like, like it. Creep yeah. show. It's interesting. Uh, Stephen King, George Romero. You guys might know what you're doing. Yeah, just possibly. Um, it's a really interesting format. So, so that's our first story. And then the second story can, is. Can I just say that how much I like uh, horror collaborations? Yeah, because I feel like they don't happen very often, mm-hmm. but often when they do, they're so much fun. And like yeah. to get these two guys who are so great independently on their own, like yeah. together, mm-hmm. it's it's like or three if you count Tom. See, this movie is fun. They're right. <laughs> Is but fun. is it the most fun or it's it's a whole lot of fun? It's a whole lot of fun. You're well, not going to sell a movie on a whole lot of fun though. So. The problem is is that I you know I am not I'm not watching creep show with an audience. If I was watching creep yeah. show with an audience, mm-hmm. it would be so much more fun. And Definitely. I have seen it uh on the big screen and it, it is amps up the fun. Okay. And I wonder too if probably that the whole Ed Harris not moving scene is designed to be if you're watching it with the audience to you know the audience is collectively screaming, "Get up, move. What are right. you doing?" Da, da, da. like it's we you know Ed Harris is there for us to yell at him mm-hmm. and you know maybe that's probably the whole point of it when you watch it solo or with some other person you're just like what are you doing why, why are you doing that yeah Harris? that's that's crazy. i don't know yes um, uh, so story number two story number two we have uh the lonesome death of jordy verrill it is lonesome it is lonesome that's a lonesome way to go because uh so happy stephen king so stephen king is sort of like our a farmer hick a very dim farmer yeah but he's he's got it's like all the cliches it's like you know he's got his shanty shack He's got his overalls. He's got the ridiculous hat. He's, and he's you know. also very like wide-eyed and gaping and just yes, not very wide-eyed. It's I'm, I'm I wonder what direction Romero gave him. Yeah, because it's it's a very like he's such a, such a broad performance in a film that actually has a lot of like touches of realism in it. Right, that it's just kind of way out, way out there. You know what's interesting about it is I will say that when it started, he seems so over the top that I was like, okay, Stephen King, you need to take this down like nine notches. 
But strangely, because the whole story, as you can tell from the title, is ultimately just about watching this person die. It's literally the death of this person. Like the title tells you in the beginning how the story is going to go down. So there's no like, oh, I wonder. Yes. So you you sort of wonder if like sort of being allowed to play it so broadly and encouraging that if like, I will say it kind of grew on me as it went on. (laughs) Because in the beginning, I was sort of just like, okay, you got to take this down like nine notches. But like, as it kind of went on, because he's such a... You know, he's sort of one of these people that it, it seemed like he doesn't really have the, the capacity to sort of course correct, like, a really bad situation. So, so you know, what sort of happens is he's, you know, in his farm and this meteorite crashes uh, and he sees it and he, of course, runs over and immediately touches it, which Julia is just shaking her head at. This is because, a horror movie survival guide tip, guys. I mean, it's a big one, too. If something falls from outer space, don't poke it with a stick. Or touch it with your hands. Or touch it. At all. Not at all. Especially if it's like oozing goo. Nope. Mm-mm. Don't lick it. Don't no. li- don't kiss Mm-mm. it. Don't. It's, it's, yeah. It's a, it's a bad idea. It's a really bad idea. So Generally, of course he does. Generally, if something falls from space, in, just run away. That seems to be with the horror movies, like let you know. And see, this is where I get like a little cut up because I'm a, an intensely curious person. So I feel like if I saw a meteor. Would you touch did, it? I have seen a meteor. No. I mean, lesson learned. Pre me doing it, pre me knowing you, probably. But like you know, Ooh. now that I've you know, poke, poke. yeah. But now that I, I feel like I've been around the horror movie block. Um, Nuke the entire site for more, but it's the only way to be sure. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. Thank you. <laughs> Just to know. Um, but but you know, now I feel like you know you can you can go over and you can look, right? But then back away, right? Slowly. But but the point of this is you know, Jordy Verrill has to be somewhat dim witted because. Everything he does is just, yeah. he, you know, he, so he touches it and uh, it starts to have this fantasy about like, if he, 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 if he goes to the Department of Meteors right. <laughs> at the <laughs> university like the Department of Meteors. and how they're going to pay him so much money for all of this. Yeah, and he like fantasizes about these fantasy things. Mm-hmm. And I think Stephen King, I think they give him like rabbity teeth. He's got like really big buck teeth. I don't think those are his real teeth. Yeah. And I, it, I find it, I mean, I love Stephen King anyway. So, and uh-huh. just his face. And his brain just don't match. Yeah. You know, like yeah. what his brain can do. And uh-huh. then you look at his face, you're like, how? That guy? Really? <laughs> I love you, Stephen King. That's the um, lesson. So oh. he, he, he starts to uh, grow uh, yeah. green stuff. Green stuff. And also the meteor um, splits when he's sort of poking it with a mm-hmm. stick and doing things he ought not to do. And like this blue liquid comes out of it, which is also no good. Like don't touch the liquid. Don't touch the liquid that comes out of the meteor. It touches all of it. And uh, yeah, this green fuzz spindly grass stuff starts growing uh, starting on his fingers spreads to his hands if he touches the television it starts to grow on the television if he touches a pepsi bottle it's on the pepsi bottle it like just spreads really really fast and it's like coming out of the meteor side and just growing on everything and again he <laughs> i think he has a line with some point where he you know he doesn't it's happening and rather than freak out or you know try and shave it off or try and cut it off or whatever He's just very kind of resigned to it. Like he sits and watches a lot of television while yeah. this is happening. Like he watches old movies, television. He's watching A Star is Born. Okay. I mean, just, just. And some wrestling. But just kind of being like, oh, oh this isn't good. No, oh, I don't want this to happen. No. You know, but doesn't do anything. Uh-uh. Like just kind of, oh, like, that's not well, how he, I he, he mixes himself a big stiff drink. Yeah. Because that's going to help. I you love know what that I mean? he, he like pours all of the vodka into the pitcher and then just mix it, mixes the drink with the top of the bottle. Yeah. That's so like bachelor lazy. Totally, I love yeah. it. Uh-huh. No, it is very bachelor I've been living by myself for like 15 years. I have lost all cares. All the cares are gone. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, it takes a bath and all these things. But like eventually. Uh, can I just point out? Yeah. We get a Stephen King shirtless scene. 
We do. That's true. I just like to point that out. <laughs> he does have green furry moss growing all down his chest. Um, but they do also show you, or not show you, let you know, uh, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Including on his jaw. Yeah, because he goes, oh no, not there too. <gasps> I'm a little yeah. confused about why he sees his dad in the mirror. Yeah, I wasn't clear on that either. Where his dad is like, he takes a bath. Like, you're doing, you're you're making terrible choices. Don't go in the bath. His dad is accurate. Yes, uh, but yeah, uh, and then and then he gets in the bath anyway. Yeah, I don't really know. I think you know a lot of these anthology stories feel very like people's sort of vices. It sort of showcases people that have various vices or sins, and those vices or sins are punished by right. what happens at the end of these stories. And I suppose you could say, and I don't know if the father factors into this but you could sort of say that Jordy Verrill's sort of vice in this thing is greed is that he sees the meteorite come down and immediately thinks how he can profit from it how he can whatever all the money he's going to make and blah 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 and turning into green shrubbery is like the punishment for that I guess so I don't really I think I don't know if the the, the father was supposed to kind of double down on that mm-hmm. maybe um like you will never amount to any good and I right. don't know um, but basically the end of this story is just so crazy. Like he, you know, you, it's sort of like you cut away for a hot second and you see the outside of and everything. The space plants are great. I love them. crazy space plants. And it's like a really vibrant green. Like it's like a crazy neon and they're just green. spreading so incredibly fast. Yeah. You're like, oof, that's this is bad. It's no good. And you, uh, you cut back to Jordy and he's just like a plant man. Yeah. Like he's just covered head to toe. You can't see anything. And he takes his little like plant arm and reaches for a shotgun and kneel and like kind of lays down against his door and shoots it. And he's like, please let this work. Like, please. Well, he says, because he keeps talking about his Veril luck. He has bad, Veril, the Veril luck is right. bad luck. Mm-hmm. So before he shoots himself in the face, he says, <laughs> in, his, in his shrub face, in his shrub, shrub face, uh-huh. uh, please God, let my luck be in just this once. Yeah. Which and is so, pretty much the saddest thing you can say before you shoot yourself. I mean, you're just like, geez, movie. By uh, yourself in yeah. the corner of your, of your little shed. And shack, he does. And sort of like cabin. Uh, his sort of shrub head explodes off to the side and scene. And uh, we have, so the freeze frame for the comic book uh, reveal on this one is you see the plants are starting to grow all the way down the road. Right. And that they're saying, oh, this is going to be a really wet, really wet spring and everything's mm-hmm. going to grow real well this spring. And so yeah. dun, dun, dun. Because the water like exacerbates it. Mm-hmm. So Earth is doomed. Yeah. Thanks, Jordy. Thanks, Jordy. Well done. He did have a lonesome death. He did. Um, so then we slide over to the third story, uh, which is called Something to Tide You Over, <laughs> um, which uh, involves uh, Ted Danson having an affair with Leslie Nielsen's wife. Um, Leslie Nielsen is not pleased about this at all. Um, and so he decides he's going to, uh, extract some very specific revenge. Yes. Uh, Leslie. Very, very detailed and well thought out. Uh, they give you, they give you a little bit into, into his way of thinking though. He says he keeps, uh, this is Leslie Nielsen says, I keep what is mine. No acceptance on this rule ever on the subject of what, what is mine. I am not sane at all. And I will say in the beginning part of this piece, in sort of stark contrast, I think, to a bit of what Stephen King was doing, um, Ted Danson and Leslie Nielsen play this thing pretty straight yeah. in the early days before, like, kind of the revenge is, is fully enacted. And I will say I found it really fun because I, I sort of, like, you know, know Leslie Nielsen more from these, like, kind of goofy police squad, you know, kind of movie, naked gun movies. And uh, it was really fun to see him play a psychopath. Like, I kind of bought it. And it wasn't, like, psychopath, like, foam coming out of your mouth, like, gleefully. It's just, no, like... What's mine is mine. And like you took what's mine and that's just not going to work for me. And it's great because I think at the beginning, Ted Danson's like, 
you, you know, like I slept with your wife. It should happen. like, you know, come on, let's all be grownups about this. And Lesson doesn't like, I don't think so. So he drives Ted Danson to the beach where he says like he has, you know, your girlfriend, my wife, um, and you have to come with me or else I'm going to hurt her. And they're sort of, they drive to the beach and Ted Danson seems very dubious about what they're doing in this beach. And my favorite line from this movie come, comes from this sequence where he's trying to coax Ted Danson out of the car and he says, Harry, Maiden Fair is waiting for her night in shining corduroy. Because Ted Danson's like in the super 80s. Like, it's 1982. You know, it is. And he looks very 1982. Um, so he, there's a hole in the beach and with a shovel and he makes Ted Danson jump into the hole and he has, he has a gun and he makes Ted Danson, Ted Danson hop into the hole and bury himself. And... And in the beginning, Ted Danson's like, no, you're, you're going to shoot me. You have to shoot me before I'm going to do that. Because he wants him to bury him up to his neck. And he sort of frames it as like, look, like, I just need you to do that because I'm going to go get her and I need to make sure that you can't follow us. Mm-hmm. Which for whatever reason, I mean, you know, there's no good choices here, I suppose. But Ted Danson's like, all right. Like, you know, they kind of argue about it. He sort of fires off a warning round and then Ted Danson starts burying himself and he buries himself all the way up to his neck. And then Leslie Nielsen goes off uh, in his Jeep and comes back with all this like uh, TV equipment and sets up a TV and shows that his wife is buried further down the beach up to her neck and the tide is coming in and that essentially he's going to drown both of them that way. But they each have monitors set up so they're going to watch each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's pretty good revenge. And I was like, but it is like, that is really specific, like really. And uh and I and I and again, I think Ted Danson does a really great job where he has the realization of when he sees what the girlfriend is happening, like the tides coming in and going right. over her face, and he realizes as the water's coming in, like what's happening, and it's great. Like I I bought it. Like you, I think they did a really good job of putting the audience in that situation. Right. Just, that is not a good way to go. I like, really feel like I could get out. I feel like I could move my arms up to get really? out. Do you not feel like you could do that? No. No. You no. would be stuck. I've also, I've uh, done you sort of crazy nonsense where I've dug like incredibly deep holes, you know, sort of like a, a kid in the beach and jumped in it and buried myself up to my waist and you can't move your feet. Like I could sort of. the water's there, it suctions. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I don't, yeah. And so like, you couldn't, I couldn't move my feet at all. And so if I picture also my legs being like, you know, three to three, three feet down and all the weight of three feet of sand on top of you. Right. I mean. I mean, obviously, it's dubious. Can you bury yourself up to your neck without moving a hand? Obviously not. Right. You know well, what I mean? He was there at the end to help. But, you know, movie, Pack movie. it in tight. Yeah, you know what I mean? They just got, look, we got eight minutes to tell the story. So, you know. It's, it's a it's a almost uh, like Hitchcockian kind of Very revenge so. story mm-hmm. where like it's so specific and like yeah. this person's obviously thought it out and yeah. like this is how I want you two to die. Correct. Yeah. Um, so he goes off to have a cocktail Yeah, at he home. has a little revenge dance that he does. <laughs> he does, yeah. I love that. I love that he's so into it. Um, um, and then also a Leslie Nielsen shirtless scene. Mm-hmm. So we get Le- Leslie Nielsen <laughs> and Stephen King Two covered for the in price moss. of one. <laughs> I mean, what could be hotter, ladies? What could be hotter? You're welcome, <laughs> says Creepshow. Um, so uh, so yeah, he goes back to his house where he has his own monitors where he can watch both things happen. And as the water starts to come over Ted Danson, he screams that he will uh, get revenge against him for doing this to them. He'll come back. He doesn't know how. He doesn't know when, but he's going to come back. Um and uh, eventually the water, you know, overtakes him. And so he's like completely uh, underneath the water. And, and there's a great shot of him uh, as he's drowning that there's like a red halo that comes yeah. around his head. Uh-huh. And it's it's a, it's a very comic book kind of image. Yeah. It's really it's really neat. Yeah, I think it's sort of one of those like, you know, kind of meant to show like this is the, the that moment of peril where you're like, I'm done. 
I'm out. Like that, that's going to be it for me. So Leslie Nielsen goes back to the beach to, you know, find what's left of both of them. And uh, when he goes over to the Ted Danson section, um, Ted Danson's not there. Like he finds the bucket and everything. And he kind of says to himself, like, oh, I must have been washed out to sea. So he goes home and that night uh, he takes a shower and then uh, he hears noises of like intruders and he's like, whoa, and like gets a gun and whatever. And then what comes after him covered in seaweed and water is both of them, is Ted Danson and the wife. And they're like, we promised we'd come get you. We promised, you know, come back. And Leslie Nielsen's face when he sees that they've come back to get the revenge is amazing. Like he does that kind of terror where you're so terrified, it's made you insane mm-hmm. for a minute where there's like the twang, like what I've seen is so scary. Like, so even if they don't get you, you're done. You're yeah. done either way. They're fan- the makeup is fantastic. Of course, it's Savini. So we know he's going to do have some fun with it. And then he shoots them because everybody shoots them. And, and like, like gross seaweed, or, uh, sorry, seawater comes out of their wounds. I love it. They're, oh. like, they're dr- they have like this like bubbly water quality to their voices. They're uh-huh. very, they sound like they've been drowned. Yeah. And then, yeah, when he they get shot, then seawater comes out instead of blood, which is just like such a cool, fun it's, effect. I mean, it's a great idea. Yeah. So he, uh, they get their revenge. They do, you know, and that's. Uh, and that's how so that they, ends they, for Mr. They, Yeah, they leave the, uh, they bury him. Yeah. And they let him have some fun with that. Yeah. Um, and then uh, our fourth story is called Crate. Um, and the Crate. The Crate, sorry. The Crate. Um, I believe it is called. It is actually. The Crate. The Crate. Um, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> We're such dorks. <laughs> I'm such a And I think we just offended some people. So. I'm sorry. Um, uh, so uh, a custodian finds, uh, which again, because Marion's an intensely curious person, this would really excite me. And then I would be like, oh, wait, horror movie survival guide, Marion, don't do it. A custodian finds under a musty old staircase a wooden crate marked Arctic Expedition 1834, which I would be thrilled to death to find and be like, let's dig this thing open uh-huh. and whatever. So he drags it out and um, there's a, a college professor named Dexter um, and his friend uh, Henry, who's played by Hal Holbrook, uh, who has the worst wife in the entire world. Just like such a loud mouth yeah. and so crude. What's his name, Wilma? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Wilma. But, but that's me, where our title comes from. Call me Billy. Call Every, me Billy. Everyone does. And she like, talks just like that. She talks Adrian Barbeau. Like they're trying to make her look trashy, but you can't really make <laughs> Adrian Barbeau look trashy. Uh-huh. She just looks kind of like. Yeah. yeah, she looks kind of hot. She's wearing a little bit too much makeup, but whatever. Yeah, and she just has this obnoxious voice. And so they're all sort of at a college, prof- you know, a bunch of college professors sort of like hobnobbing with each other at like a dinner party. And, and he has the, f- he fantasizes about killing her yeah. at this party. And yeah. then in his fantasy, everybody applauds. I love that part. I love they, like, that. Golf clap. Like yes. everyone's oh, like, yes. thank you. <laughs> well done. We've been well wanting done. to do that for hours. Yeah, because she's just like that awful woman at a dinner party where everyone, like nobody can stand talking to her because she's just terrible. But it's also like a pretty stuffy, genteel totally. university parties so. yeah and he and Hal Holbrook is uh, sort of playing this character that's just very like yes you know yes Billy whatever you say Billy okay yes, Billy he's, she, he is cowed by her uh, mm. strong personality exactly and she uh, keeps telling him how stupid he is and right. how he can't do anything right and what are, what would you do without me you wouldn't you couldn't do anything without me and all that kind of stuff um, so uh, so the custodian calls Dexter uh, sort of the, I think he's like the dean right mm-hmm. um, and says hey I found this crate marked Arctic Expedition 1834. Let's open it up. And uh, they do. And there is a hideous ape man yeti thing with mm-hmm. teeth that's been living in it. Yeah, um, they do. Um, they do this great. The, the custodian gets eaten. And the way they show him being eaten, I yeah. think, is really fun. It's a really, like, low budget but effective way. Uh-huh. So he kind of gets sucked up into the crate. Yeah. And as he's being sucked up, like, 
fluid is running down, like blood right. is running down his body. So you can tell he's it's being like an eaten. inverted blender. Like that's yeah. just kind of like mm-hmm. as up you go, the nasty stuff comes out. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun thing. Um, yeah, so they, there's a little uh, monster living in the crate. Yeah. But I had always like thought it was just like crouching down. But I think it's only like two feet tall because it fits oh, really? in the crate. Oh, so it has to be like, like sideways, two- though, right? Yeah, but still, it'd be like, "Where?" Mm-hmm. I made a hand gesture there. You guys can't see that. <laughs> but the hand gesture, like, like it made sense. <laughs> it made it made a lot of sense. <laughs> it made a lot of sense. Um, I suppose uh, so, but I mean, it's all fangs, so I, don't, I guess it doesn't. It's really all matter. the mouth. Yeah. Um, I know Tom Savini uh, is a big fan of this creature. This is one of his favorite creatures. Oh, really? Um, and it was his first animatronic, fully animatronic creature. Oh, it's not like a guy in a suit. Uh, uh, there are in some shots, yes, oh, but okay. I think. Um, like we discussed uh, for Pumpkinhead, how uh-huh. Stan Winston's more of the monster guy. Yeah. Savini's more of the effects guy. I see. This is his first, like, I'm going to delve into monster territory. Oh, okay. Interesting. And, and that's what he came up with. Got it. Which no, is it's... A, a good creature. It's got some good yellow piercing eyes. Yeah, and it's got, like, the drool, and it's, again, it's like a, it's almost got, like, this shark mouth. It's just, like, all fangs, yeah. you know, when you see it. Um, So it annihilates the custodian. Uh, There's, like, a, a grad student that happens to be wandering around. Um, Again, Dexter, the professor, sees this, and it's like, twang, and yeah. he He's so starts, insane. And he is just insane for the rest of the story, which I really enjoy. Uh, he's just completely crazy. I love his his kind of hysteria. Like it's it's like he's so he's, the indecipherable mumbling. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Where he's just like you can tell he's just gone. Yeah. Like his brain cannot handle this yeah. much. So craziness. he's just like try so he's like sort of telling the college student about it. he's like, oh, no, no. And the guy's like, okay, okay. And then he goes to look for the creature and then like he's immediately torn apart. Um, And so he ends up going back to Henry. Um, And Wilma has gone off for, uh, I don't know, some girls thing or whatever. And uh, he sort of explains to Henry everything that's going on and this creature. And oh my God. Harry, isn't it? Is it Harry? Oh, I thought it was Henry. Is it? Uh, double, check, double check the notes. No, Henry Northup, it says. Okay, yeah. you're right. Um, yeah, I'm wrong. And no, sir. Um, and so when he's telling Henry about insane creature that's killed two people already, this little light kind of goes on in Henry's eyes. He's like, oh, yeah, let's uh, fix your drink and uh, I'll take care of this. And so he starts to begin this plan to get Wilma to come to where the creature is. And so he goes and he like cleans up all the blood from the custodian and the college student and puts the puts the crate back under the stairs and then writes her this note. So when she comes back, it's like, oh, Dexter's really gotten up to something with like a, a you know, a female grad student. Because we had seen him at the party kind of chatting up a, a yeah. young student. So it seems like he has that reputation. And, uh, you know, she's she's really upset and she's hiding under the stairs and she won't come out. And like only you, you know, you're so good with people, Billy, like only you can solve this problem for us. And so she sort of shows up and it's like, Henry, where, what's going on? Can I just point out that as uh, when she comes home, she she pours herself a drink of some sort of dark alcohol, rum, uh-huh. brandy, whatever. And milk, yeah, which is gross. Yeah, but I love. So I, I was like, oh, that's gross. And then she carries it to her desk. Yeah, <laughs> she carries. She drives in the car with it, uh-huh. and then she's like, as she's in the uh, as in the college, looking under the stairs yeah. with that glass in her hand. You know, that's a goal for some people is to die with a drink in my hand. You know, <laughs> <laughs> everybody raises their hand. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. So yeah, she does. So he so he kind of you know shoves her in there against the crate and kind of you know is like pounding her against the crate like please open please open and the crate doesn't open and so she begins this whole monologue of how stupid he is and he can never do anything right what the hell you know what, the, what are you doing and kind of belittling him and putting him down and then all of a sudden the crate springs open and the creature grabs her and tears her apart yeah um 
and uh, and then basically, yeah, like Henry just uh, you know box, get you know gets the creature back in the box, crates it up, and throws it into a quarry where he thinks that it's filled with water. Then he's like, oh yeah, it'll be drowned. It's fine. Da, da, da. And then he and Dexter go back and just start playing chess. Mm-hmm. Like oh, that all worked out. And sort of, and our kind of final shot is like underwater and creature eyes open. So like it's not drowned. Dun, dun, dun. But it is a it is a remarkable way to get rid of your problems. Yeah, You're I like, mean, okay, we, we, he, like it's 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 great because you uh, Henry is kind of shown as like maybe not the brightest guy, right? And then it's like okay, he's put all of this together quite quickly, and yeah. it's like all right, this is how we do it. This yeah. is how I like solve all of my problems in one, right? Including this horrible shrew of a wife, right? Yeah, it's just yeah, like we just you know use the monster as opportunity, yes, you know, rather than just like a terrifying thing. How I, can I turn this to good? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting angle it, on a monster story. It is no for question sure. is though, why would you marry? Billy in the first place. I mean, the only imagine is that it, she just couldn't have been that way in the early days, you know, and at some point developed this like latent alcoholism. She's horrific also still incredibly good looking. No, I she, don't know. Okay. Okay. And much younger than him. I understand so it's that. like maybe it was a trophy wife situation. But I always just like, no, no matter how good the sex is, it's never worth <laughs> listening to that for like the rest of your day. But that's why he's fantasizing about killing her. Right. You know, but obviously, but I just like that it's like, oh no, I could never shoot my wife. But I could definitely feed my wife to a monster. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like the two are so different in his head, you know. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't want to be the mechanism. Yeah. But he'll definitely like throw her at a monster. That's sure. that's fine. Um so the last story is sort of a shorter one. It's just uh it's a it it's kind of this one man show, really. Yeah. Um E.G. Marshall plays this guy named Upson Pratt, mm-hmm. um, who lives in he's a germaphobe, ruthless business tycoon. Um, and uh he lives in this sort of bizarre penthouse that he has tried to kind of make germ proof and he's got all these weird sort of like vacuum garbage disposal. I wish I and, had those. They're awesome. I know. <laughs> um, but he has, and so he's sort of, you know, kind of doing these things where he's sort it's of... It's a very sterile, his, like very hospital-like, except for mm-hmm. the Wurlitzer jukebox, which is in the corner. Right. Um, uh-huh. Which plays the Evil Dead, uh, the song they play at the end of Evil Dead in the credits. Oh, I he didn't plays know that. that. Oh, that's I interesting. It's kind of horror nerd I am. Um, and he's got like, you know, computers for all his like stock stuff and, you know, and so he's making these completely heartless business calls like a an associate of his had recently shot himself because of sort of like business impropriety that was done and so the widow gets on the phone and hopes he rots in hell and he just like laughs and he's just like well if he couldn't handle it it's not my problem yeah you're gonna rejoice when i'm dead a lot of people are gonna rejoice when i'm dead yeah but he's just like this he's a guy who's just a total miserable bastard but kind of relishes it like kind of likes that yeah he says uh to one of his coworkers, uh go out and fuck somebody but wear our damn rubber everyone's got the damn herpes these days (laughs) Who says that? Upton Pratt. That's who. Um, So in his little sterile wonderland, he starts to spy cockroaches. Mm -hmm. Now, how you feel about sharks is, I mean, I'm not afraid a cockroach is going to eat me, but they're pretty, I mean, pretty much everyone knows that the most hideous. I mean, no one's a fan. No one, no one is. I I don't think I've ever met anybody who likes cockroaches. And if I did, I'd be wary of that person because they're hideously repulsive. So that kind of like... You described watching Jaws like a kind of like a squirmy leg feeling. Like uh-huh. that's how I get watching this. Oh, really? Like I'm just like, oh god, yeah, yeah. it's horrible. No, it's 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 it is pretty dicey. And and in the beginning, he sort of sees one, and it will like smash it and throw it down the little like vacuum disposal thing that he has by his he desk. He wears white gloves. Yeah, and he's got crazy old man hair, and you know doesn't really care about what he how he dresses. Um, but he just basically starts seeing them more and more and more and more and more. And uh, he's you know kind of got this compound where he's talking to people through a door, and you know. 
they obviously it, everything needs power to run because that's how everything is like vacuum sealed and a rolling blackout hits. Um, and so he starts seeing cockroaches and more and more and more and more and more and more and more. And, more. and then finally it kind of whips him up into this panic and he has this sort of like panic room, I guess, yeah. which I think is not meant to be anti or not sure from roaches, but from people. And so he runs to shut himself up in there. It's in this vacuum sealed type room, bedroom. Mm-hmm. And all the roaches come and they swarm him yeah. and take him over. And the, the I will say the last shot of this movie is the grossest thing of the whole mm-hmm. deal because you kind of we kind of cut away and we come back and again like E.G. Marshall does a great job of being this just like bastard just, just the, like the thought super villain the thought of having yeah. one roach on me is so incredibly repulsive yeah like the thought of having them like I can't like the panic that he does in this film where he's just freaking out because I can understand that panic yeah I would be mm-hmm. useless in panic yeah if I if that was happening no to me. and he fully panics and sort of like has a heart attack and falls down. And then we kind of go away from him. And then when we come back, the room seems roach-free. And then all of a sudden, they all start coming out of his mouth, his body. His, oh, they like basically chest, like cracks open. And they, they all explode come out. out of him. It's like a real-life like Oogie Boogie Man from yeah, Nightmare Before Christmas. It's pretty gross. Um, and that's the end of him. And that's the final shot of that. Um, so we have this very brief epilogue at the very end where Tom Savini shows up. Uh, hey, he's just a garbage, cameo, garbage, garbage uh, man. Just a garbage man. Uh, and they find the Creepshow magazine. Um, and they notice that there's a cutout for, you know, these things you can buy. And there's a cutout for like a voodoo doll that you could get. But like, oh, the like sent away coupon is gone. So someone must have ordered it. And then it cut to a uh, terrible dad talking to his mousy wife. And he starts feeling weird stings on his neck. And what's, 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 what's going on? And you cut to upstairs and uh, the little boy is holding the voodoo doll and is like telling his dad off and stabbing him in the neck with the needles. Take that, dad. Take that, dad. Creep um, show. Yeah, creep animated. show. Yeah. I love, I love the animated uh, beginning and end as yeah. well. It's, mm-hmm. More and more, I, there was that was a thing in the eighties as well. You had animated credit sequences, which yeah. were in fashion. Uh-huh. Let's bring it back, folks. Yeah, everybody loves them. No, they're really fun. Um, so yeah, so uh, let's talk about uh, gore factor. One, it's not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup. Two, puddle of blood. Three, enough blood to gross out the average viewer. Four, bathtub of blood, and five, run for the barf bag. Uh, and you and I gave this a one. Just yeah, not there's blood to fill Dixie cup. There's a lot of effects and there's a lot of grossness. There's not very much blood. Yeah. There is some in the crate. Right. But it's just kind of like on the floor. And yeah. And, and really like the grossest thing that happens is all the cockroaches coming out of E.G. Marshall. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically it. You know, no. do we want to downplay it? Yeah, there, no, there can, it's there gross. There yeah. great effects without a lot of gore, but it's surprising for yeah. Savini that yeah. how gore free it is. No, that's very true. Um, well, and then we have creepy too, though. What looks creepy? The couple, all yeah, the gross seaweed couple. Yeah, yeah, pretty they're, gross. Pretty yeah gross. they're great. I mean, Savini's a master for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, movie rating: We have one to five chainsaws. One if you're desperate. Two barely. Bar- mm-hmm. Start that one again. One if you're desperate. Two barely qualifies as a horror film. Three seen worse, seen better. Four not too shabby, and five fantastical. Uh, I gave this a three. I gave it a two. That's pretty low for that Creepshow, man. That is pretty man. low. What's the problem? Don't know. I, I, the thing is, like, now sort of in hindsight, looking back, I think I would say more three, like you are. But I don't know. I guess at the time, I thought some of the stories were more interesting than frightening. Um, yes. And so I kind of felt like there were sort of only two that I was, like, genuinely scared. But it's still and enjoyable. The, yeah. But I think if we're talking ta- sort of, like, two is barely qualifies as a horror film. Okay. So maybe that's where my brain was. But I feel like I'd be more generous now about it. I think it's definitely worth a watch. If you haven't seen Creepshow, there's also a sequel. 
yeah. creep show too. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're uh, really fun. And you got to love King and Romero together. It's King, Romero, and Savini. And Savini. And also just to get to see the format. You know, I think yes. if you're sort of interested in the world of horror movies and you want to see like what else we got, this anthology format is really different and I think kind of unique to horror films. So. And I've never seen a movie that's done as much, like a horror film that's done as much comic book stuff. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, it's comic book stuff is obviously very commonplace now, mm-hmm. but in 1982, not so much. I give it a thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so next week, we'll be doing another anthology horror film. We will be doing Cat's Eye. Yeah, with some more Stephen King. Some more. I can never get enough. <laughs> you know me. Uh, all of the Stephen King, all of the time, please. Uh, but this will be an interesting one because Cat's Eye, we didn't watch in college. Yeah. So this is one of the first ones we'll be doing where this is a first time watch for both of us. Correct. Mm-hmm. So join us next week for yeah. some Drew Barrymore, some Cats, some and cats. Some, uh, some other things. Yeah, you will see. You will see. <laughs> all right, see you next time, guys. Bye. Survival.